How many of you do not know who Dr. Fowler is? You've never met him before, maybe never talked to him, never seen him. I, I, I don't see any hands up. That's good. Dr. Fowler, the time is yours. Everybody knows who you are. They know what you do. Um, they know who you represent. The time is yours. Well, you are. Can you hear me okay? All right, good, good. 
Just like our guest, I enjoyed that special music. Thank you. Perhaps. It's been almost a year since we were here in this little church. It's good to be back again worshiping. April of last year, we had a special topic we talked about for the worship hour. What has to happen before the Sunday laws come? And what I'm going to be presenting here this morning is a sequel to what I presented way back last year. I would like to talk this morning about the different phases of the Sunday laws. Adventists often talk about a Sunday law. Ellen White talks about many Sunday laws. And that's what I want to address here this morning. Yes, we have a handout, a copy of my notes. And I think Alicia and Jeannie are going to be handing out a copy. We have enough for each individual. Thank you for the extra work that Dan made. We didn't bring enough, and he made some extra copies. In Ellen White's writings, sometimes one has to really do research to glean some of the hidden messages that she has. And that's why I've entitled this sermon here this morning, Hidden in Plain Sight. Ellen White has many narratives of special topics if we search through her writings, and it takes a lot of time at times to do that. I'm going to do something this morning that I rarely do, and that is I'm going to be reading a lot of quotations from Ellen White. But I hope as we go along, you'll see the dynamics and the wonderment of some of the things that God gave to her for us to really see, understand, and to digest. Beginning with the introduction, within the vast writings of Ellen G. White are sequence messages that reveal the order of many end-time events. Many of these are only discovered when bringing together topical narratives. One such sequence relates to several phases the Sunday laws must undergo. This study this morning deals with those Sunday laws. This is a complement to the seminar study entitled, This Must Occur Before the Sunday Laws, which we gave last year. The first background quote that I want to give is to look at the beginning of the Sabbath. In Eden, God set up the memorial of his work of creation. In place, his blessings upon the seventh day. The Sabbath was committed to Adam, the father and representative of the whole family. Its observance was to be an act of grateful acknowledgement on the part of all who should dwell upon the earth that God was their creator and also, number two, their sovereign, that they were the work of his hands and the subjects of his authority. Thus, the institution was holy, commemorative, and given to all mankind. Now, looking before the era of the flood, the antediluvian world, 
Men chose, should be chose instead of choose, chose to follow their own inclinations rather than obey the commandments of God. The inhabitants of the antediluvian world glorified themselves instead of commemorating the glorious works of creation. They did not obey the law of God. They did not honor the Sabbath. Had they done this, they would have recognized their duty to their creator. In other words, his sovereignty. This was the original and supreme objective of the command, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now, 40 years in wandering of the children of Israel is a very fascinating thought she has. One might believe that during that 40 years, because Moses was directing this vast number of people that they were keeping the Sabbath and dealing with the sanctuary very explicitly. But notice what she says. The people were every week reminded of the sacred obligation of the Sabbath by the miracle of the manna. Yet even this did not lead them to obedience. There was great laxness in the observance of the fourth commandment. This is enumerated among the reasons for the exclusion of the first generation from the promised land. But she actually goes on. Though God did not prevent their children from entering Canaan, he declared that they should be scattered among the heathen after the settlement in the promised land. Now Sabbath at the time of Christ, we're moving right along historically. The Jewish leaders accomplished the will of Satan by surrounding God's rest day with burdensome requirements. In the days of Christ, the Sabbath had become so perverted that its observance reflected the character of selfish and arbitrary men rather than the character of a loving Heavenly Father. The rabbis virtually represented God as giving laws which was impossible for men to obey. They led the people to look upon God as a tyrant. Now, moving into the era of Ellen White, in 1882, Mrs. White made this amazing statement regarding our day. The test will surely come. 36 years ago, she said, this was 1882, that would be 1846, the year she married James White, was shown that what is now transpiring would take place, that the observance of an institution of the papacy would be enforced upon the people by a Sunday law, while the sanctified rest day of Jehovah would be trampled underfoot. A Sunday law was just introduced into the Senate at the time in 1882 when she wrote that. That is the earliest suggestion in her writings that the Sunday law issue would become a national concern. She and James White began to keep the Seventh-day Sabbath between 1846 and 1847. Now, the Bible verse that was read for our scripture today from Matthew 24, 15, talks about the abomination of desolation found where? In the book of Daniel. 
we can tell distinctly most of the details that Ellen White writes about an end time Sunday law directly from the book of Daniel and all Adventists really need to understand that. The next page in 1850, she received a formal vision informing her that the Sabbath would become an end time crisis to God's people. She recorded that in 1851. In 1884, Pastor Wilbur Crafts of another denomination prepared a petition to Congress supporting a law against Sunday work in the mail and military service and interstate commerce. It was not until after that this that the Women's Christian Temperance Union, Union added a Sabbath or Sunday observance department to its work making Sunday God's rest day. Shortly thereafter, in 1884, Mrs. White said there would be a soon coming conflict. The following is what she wrote. Looking into the future, the dignitaries of church and state will unite to bribe, persuade, or compel, at strong language, all classes to honor the Sunday. Are we being compelled to some degree in the United States regarding how we worship? It's one of the issues that is beginning to show the power of how simple the government can work our lives and our worship experience. Political corruption, destroying love of justice and regarding for truth, and even in free America, rulers and legislators, in order to secure public favor, will yield to the popular demand for a law enforcing Sunday observance. Liberty of conscience, which has cost so great a sacrifice, will no longer be respected. Then a Sunday crisis came to America. When the Sunday Rest Bill was introduced formally in the Senate in 1888 by Senator Henry Blair. From that point on came most of Ellen White's writings on the Sunday law issue. Two examples. The Sunday movement is now making its way in darkness. The leaders are concealing the true issue. And many who unite in the movement do not themselves see whither the undercurrent is trend attending. Its professions are mild and apparently Christian, but when it shall speak, it will reveal the spirit of a dragon. And that is why in the text we had today, God calls it an abomination. And the outcome is what he has, and that's a desolation. A great crisis awaits the people of God. A crisis awaits the world. The most momentous struggle of all the ages is before us. Events which for more than 40 years we have, upon the authority of the prophetic word declared to be impending, are now taking place before our eyes. And of course that was referring to the Blair Amendment. Hidden information in plain sight in her narratives. Often, when a compendium of writings is gathered together, there is a storyline that would not have been seen otherwise. That is true with her many thoughts related to the apocalyptic 
Sunday laws. There is a sequence of events tied to these oppressive measures. The extremes we'll talk about here this morning. Sunday laws light, that word light is my word, L-I-T-E, and the, ex, the extreme, the other end, is a death decree. Here is now the storyline from Ellen White's writings. I'm calling them phases, that just helps me to teach and preach, and so phase number one, Sunday Law's light by inference. Then the great deceiver will persuade men that those who serve God are causing these evils, and it's in the context of corruption, calamities, and pestilence. It will be declared that men are offending God by the violation of the Sunday Sabbath, that this sin has brought calamities which will not cease until Sunday observance shall be strictly enforced, and that those who present the claims of the fourth commandment, thus destroying reverence for Sunday, are troublers of the people, preventing their restoration to divine favor and temporal prosperity. This suggests that a Sunday law is already in place or under major discussion. They now want it to have teeth. It also suggests the true Sabbath keepers have been identified at this point in time. Because of continued troubles, there is a call for enforcement. Ellen White goes on, of this time when Protestantism shall stretch her hand across the gulf to grasp the hand of the Roman power, our country shall repudiate every principle of the Constitution as a Protestant and Republican government and shall make provision for the propagation of papal falsehood and delusions then we may know that the time has come for the marvelous working of Satan, that the end is near. So before we find the enforcement of the Sunday laws, there are things that are occurring pointing our attention, pointing the country's attention to a Sunday worship issue. And in many of her quotations, and I'm just giving you a few intimation quotations here this morning, you begin to see that this becomes a discussion element within this country. This warning came even before the Blair Bill in the Senate in 1888, which was incidentally defeated. It is an alarm that when religious liberty is restricted over the Sabbath issue, the context the marvelous working of Satan will begin. Now, what is that marvelous working of Satan? This quotation, I've mentioned it behind this pulpit before. I wish every Adventist knew this by memory. This is the only quotation in Ellen White's writings where she mentions the last three and a half years of Earth's history is part of the prophecy. In the last days, Satan will appear as an angel of light. That's a big issue. With great power and heavenly glory and claim to be the Lord of the earth, he will declare the Sabbath has been changed from the seventh to the first day of the week. Can you imagine now at this point in time when this declaration has been made in this country or even around the world, 
the psychodynamics of how that will affect the people that want to have an enforcement because of calamities, because of the economy going down the hill. So there's a logical progression of issues that Satan brings that Ellen White is fully aware and cognizant of it, and she's giving that to us. Then will take place where it's underlined the final fulfillment of Revelation's prophecy. Men worshiped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast, and they also worshiped the beast and asked, who is like unto the beast? Who can make war against him? The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise his authority for, here it is, 42 months. When the first Sunday law comes into being in the United States, right at the end of time, it is a signal for Satan to appear on planet Earth to begin his terrible deceptive mission. That gives us a little sequence of understanding. So when we see the focus of our, the attention of this country especially, being made on Sunday worship because of calamities and the economy, Ellen White says, we know that it won't be too long afterwards that Satan will appear. This occurs before the last three and a half years, that 42 months before the enforcement of the initial laws and before the persecution begins. These things will be a final signal to God's people to leave the cities. Ellen White has that in several of her quotations. When we see the enforcement begin, it is the last chance we will have to get out of the cities. And it's also to have a message to share with the world and be aware that we will be in direct competition with Satan and his minions. You know, that's something that I've never heard a sermon on. It really would be a wonderful sermon. And that is when we get right into the end of time and some of these issues, we are going to be in competition with Satan. We are going to be in competition with Satan and his minions and his followers and his leaders. And that is how the mark of the beast crises will eventually wind down. Phase number two, enforcement of the Sunday laws. This is the phase that Ellen White wrote the most about. It is related to the onset of many end time issues. It is the beginning of the little time of trouble. Political corruption, she said, is destroying love of justice and regard for truth. Are you seeing that in today's news and the thing that's going on right now? And even in free America, rulers and legislatures, in order to secure public favor, will yield to popular demand for a law. What is the next word? Enforcing Sunday observance. So there's been something light, L-I-T-E, that has happened in the past. And now we move to this phase number two where there's an issue about enforcing it. When the leading churches of the United States shall influence the state to enforce their decrees already in existence, and I, just, I will drop it there, laws enforcing the observance of Sunday as the Sabbath will bring about, Ellen White says, another issue, and that's national apostasy. 
from the principles of republicanism upon which this government has been founded. Is the Constitution in the last few weeks been undermined in this country? It clearly has. The impeachment proceedings in the Senate has been illegal and it's been against the Constitution and yet it has moved forward with blatant, no bla with blatant unconcern that it was really undermining the laws of this country. As the approach of the Roman armies was assigned to the disciples of the impending destruction of Jerusalem, so may this apostasy be a sign for us that the limit of God's forbearance is reached. That's the enforcement. The national apostasy is the signal for national ruin. The people of the United States have been a favored people, but when they restrict religious liberty, the measure of their guilt will be full, and that's in the context of a worship day. Enforcement of a Sunday law will bring persecution and oppressive power against God's people. More about that in a few moments. God steps into the picture here as the latter rain starts to be poured out. It is very clear from the spirit of prophecy and also from the Bible that in this block of time of three and a half years, right at the end of time, it's at the beginning of that block of time when we are to go out to the world as his witnesses that that is when the latter rain begins. That means, and we'll talk about that this afternoon in our seminar, that means before that point in time, when the latter rain comes for us to be witnesses, we must experience the early rain experience. And that's a crucial issue for God's people. We don't talk about that as much as we should. God steps into the picture as the latter rain starts to be poured out. The final warning to planet Earth will begin, and it is promised that this gospel mission will be successful. If you ever doubt it, read Revelation 11, 7a. We'll do that this afternoon and discuss it. Phase 3, part A of phase 3. The whole world will follow America's Sunday law example. Adventists often use the term universal Sunday law. The Sabbath question is to be the issue of the great final conflict in which all the world will act a part. It begins in the United States. Foreign nations will follow the example of the United States. Though she leads out, yet the same crises will come upon our people in all parts of the world. The wicked declare that they have the truth, that miracles were among them. How do they know they have the truth and miracles are among them? Satan has already appeared to them. They have this leader of Satan and they are following it. Satan is performing many miracles. They think that the millennium has begun on planet Earth. They think Christ has already come. So it's in this context, as we go out to spread the gospel, we will be fighting this competition because allegedly, to their thinking, Christ has come. And that great power in signs and wonders were performed among them related to the fact that Satan has appeared as an angel of light, and this was the temporal millennium that they had been expecting so long. The whole world was 
converted and in harmony with the Sunday law issue because Satan has already come. Then she focuses even more pointedly where the greatest battles will occur. In the great conflict between faith and unbelief, the whole Christian world will be involved. We are told that when these laws become universal, God will uniquely step into end time history. When the Sabbath, this substitution, becomes universal, God will reveal himself. Satan has revealed himself to this point. Now God is revealing himself. He will arise in his majesty to shake terribly the earth. When the laws of men are exalted above the laws of God, when the powers of the earth try to force men to keep the first day of the week, know this is a sign that the time has come for God to work. Now, as near as we can tell from Ellen White and Revelation 8 through 11, which incidentally we've never discussed here, We've discussed uh, 10 and 11 th this afternoon, but the trumpets we haven't discussed. This is the time that the seven trumpets begin, as near as we can tell. And we'll discuss, depending upon the time this afternoon, the seventh trumpet. God will rise in power to begin what? Punishing the earth. And maybe I should pause right here. One of the great issues, it's very hard for God's people to understand, and we don't think about it that much. As we move deeper and deeper into end time prophecy, it will seem like God has abandoned us in many ways. It will seem like Satan is winning. It will seem like the forces of evil are winning out. And God does not step into the picture until the very end. And it appears like he doesn't step into this picture until the seven trumpets begin to occur. They precede the seven last plagues. So that means, and we read it in a, a quote a moment ago, that means it's the challenge for us between unbelief and we blame God for what is happening, or faith and belief that he is watching every step that's occurring, and that at the right time, in his time, he will step into history. It will seem like Satan is winning the battle for a while at the end. When the laws of men are exalted above the laws of God, when the powers of the earth try to force men to keep the first day of the week, that is the sign. God's intervention is depicted also towards the bottom of the page with Christ riding from heaven on a white horse to judge and bring wrath to the planet Earth. I believe I discussed Armageddon here, didn't I? Last time, right. This is when Christ... And again, there's a great delay with all these problems that are occurring. When Christ finally comes in, one of the illustrations of his coming in here is in Revelation 19. He comes in riding on a white horse. Did you have a question? Um, in the book, it says the end time is going to be early. 
It's the, it's the trumpet plagues. There's two sets of plagues in the book of Revelation. Page number eight, top of the page. Phase three, part B, oppression will come from the secular world. Babylon, religious powers, will make all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Every nation will be involved. How does that happen? Of this time, John the Revelator declares, Revelation 18 and 17, these have one mind, there will be a universal bond, one great harmony, a confederacy of Satan's forces, and shall give their secular world power and strength to the beast. That is referring to the ten horns of the beast of Revelation 17 and the sea beast of Revelation 13. Those ten horns become a coalition, if you please, a new world order, I don't know that we've discussed that here or not, but they will give their power to the beast, it says in Revelation 17, verse 13. They will give their power to their beast. It'll be a coalition. And in Revelation 13, we see that coalition in operation. Phase four, the world is stirred with hatred towards God's people. The whole world is to be stirred with enmity against Seventh-day Adventists because they will not yield homage to the papacy by honoring Sunday, the institution of this antichrist power. The whole world will keep Sunday, they say, and why should not this people who are so few in number do according to the laws of the land? As the Sabbath has become the special point of controversy throughout Christendom, and religious and secular authorities have combined to enforce observance of Sunday, the persistent refusal of a small minority to yield to the popular demand will make them objects of universal execration. Top of page nine, phase five. New laws restricting religious liberty bring direct persecution. Seventh-day Adventists will fight the battle over the Seventh-day Sabbath. The authorities in the United States and in other countries will rise up in their pride and power to make laws restricting religious liberty. What does that mean? Restricting worshiping on Sabbath, on Saturday. All who will not bow to the decree of the national councils and obey the national laws to exalt the Sabbath instituted by the man of sin to the disregard of God's holy day will feel not the oppressive power of popery alone. Our focus must be beyond the Vatican itself, but the Protestant world and the image of the beast. Those religious bodies who refuse to hear God's message of warning will be under strong deception and will unite with the civil power to persecute the saints. The Protestant churches will unite with them to persecute commandment-keeping people of God. Wealth, genius, education, etc., cover them with contempt 
Persecuting rulers, ministers, and church members will conspire against them with voice and pen by boast, threats, and ridicule. They will seek to what? Overthrow. Overthrow our faith. Has your faith ever been threatened? Have you ever gone through trials and experiences so bad you wondered, why am I going through this? Why? What do we say so often? Why is God putting me through this? We kind of throw the finger and the arrow back towards God. There will come a time when because of our advocacy of the Bible truth, we shall be treated as traitors. That's very serious. This occurs when the work of the loud cry is almost finished. And again, Ellen White, in her writings and the Bible, make very clear that during this last three and a half year period, there are many, many things that must occur, and we know the sequence of many of those issues that will transpire. Revelation 11, 5 through 7, makes clear that the gospel message will successfully go to the world despite persecution. How bad will the persecution get? We need not be surprised at anything that may take place now. We need not marvel at any developments of horror. Those who trample under the unholy feet the law of God have the same spirit as had the men who insulted and betrayed Jesus. If Jesus went through it, perhaps we will also. Without any compunctions of conscience, they will do the deeds of their father, the devil. The persecution of Protestants by Romanism, by which the religion of Jesus Christ was almost annihilated, will more than be rivaled when Protestantism and Popery are combined. Many will be imprisoned, many will flee for their lives from cities and towns, many will be martyrs for Christ's sake in standing in defense of the truth. There is a prospect of imprisonment, loss of property, even life itself to defend the law of God. This is the time when we will need to understand and reflect upon some of the stories of the Bible. How about Paul? Have you ever read Acts of the Apostles and all the things that Paul went through? Imprisonment, beating, rejection by his fellow believers, terrific experiences, but he pressed forward even with wounds on his back from being beaten. Remember the story of John the Baptist. Jesus was living at the time. John the Baptist was arrested and put in prison. During that time, how many times did Jesus visit John the Baptist? None. Not at all during that time. These are lessons for us of things that we will be faced with in the near future. And how we deal with these things is in direct proportion to how much confidence we have in Jesus Christ and the outcome of prophecy at the end of time. I'm not going to read those several items there because of the time, but down two-thirds of the way down, the bold print, loyalty to Jesus is not a barrier to persecution. It's a guarantee of eternal life. Phase number six, decree against God's people withdraws protection. 
as the decree issued by the various rulers of Christianship against commandment keepers shall withdraw the protection of government and abandon them to those who desire their destruction, the people of God will flee from the cities and villages and associate together in companies dwelling in the most desolate places. Adventists misunderstand this quotation. I've heard many sermons and many things in Sabbath school classes regarding this one quotation. It's almost like we are being taught that there will be a point in time where we'll have a one grand camp meeting up in the mountains hiding as Adventists. No way. This is a time we're fleeing for our lives. And this is a time at the very end of that three and a half years. We know that for sure. So Jesus is really coming soon, very, very soon. And this moves us during that particular time into the period of Jacob's trouble. And Jacob's trouble, Ellen White talks about, is only a very, very short period of time. We think we know how long that is from Daniel 12. Move on to page number 11, phase number 7. Earthly support is cut off. Hoarded wealth will soon be worthless. When the decree shall go forth that none shall buy or sell, and again, this is at the very end of that period of time, they have the mark of the beast. Very, I, I, I need to read that again. Hoarded wealth will soon be worthless when the decree shall go forth that none shall buy or sell except they have the mark of the beast. Very much means will be of no avail. In the last great conflict, in the controversy with Satan, those who are loyal to God will see every earthly support cut off because they refuse to break his law in obedience to the earthly powers. They will be forbidden to buy and sell. What does this whole barrier mean? It suggests there will be a point in time when God's people will be identified, fully known for their loyalties to Sabbath. So there will be a holding spot, a holding point that the world will put upon us. It's important that we understand the distinction between the seal of God and the mark of God. The seal of God is put on the foreheads of each saint. And this is a beautiful description of it in the Philadelphia church. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from God. And I will also write on him my new name. So this, that represents the seal of God and several things that it entails that won't be seen by anyone. That's God's citizenship mark that will be put on very close to Christ's return. We've written an article on that in our magazine. Wherefore the children, what then is the sign or mark that the world sees and brings its vengeance against? Wherefore the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations for a perpetual covenant. It is a what? A sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, 
and the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. And hallow my Sabbath that they shall be a sign. Ezekiel 20 and Exodus 31, the next page. The Sabbath is a sign between God and his people. Then how does the world label us? What are they seeing? It's based upon our worship and our witness. The world will know because we will be on a spirit driven on fire for the Lord. Phase number eight, the death decree. It appears that this will be passed during the fifth trumpet, which is in Revelation 9, before probation closes. The time to apply the death decree, however, will be after probation closes. And I think we can understand that from great controversy. The same argument 1,800 years ago was brought against Christ by the rulers of the people. It is expedient for us, said the wily Caiaphas, that one man should die for the people and that the whole nation perish not, John 11:50. This argument will appear conclusive and a decree will finally be issued against those who hallow the Sabbath of the fourth commandment, denouncing them as deserving of the severest punishment and giving the people liberty after a certain time to put them to death. Romanism in the old world and apostate Protestantism in the new will pursue a similar course towards those who honor all the divine precepts. I saw the leading men of the earth consulting together and Satan and his angels busy around them. It's a global issue. I saw a writing, copies of which were scattered in different parts of the land, giving orders that unless the saints would yield their peculiar faith, giving up the Sabbath and observing the first day of the week, the people were at liberty after a certain time to put them to death. Clearly based upon this, what is transpiring, the citizens of the world are getting panicked over something, some phenomena that is occurring. What does Ellen White describe that to be? The calamities are getting very bad. Finances are going down the drain very quickly. And those two things especially, Ellen White point out, will make people panic and they will push ahead with the Sunday issue. But in this hour of trial, the saints were calm and composed, trusting in God and leading upon his promise that a way of escape would be made for them. In some places, now this is at the very, very end. This is the night of deliverance that Alan White has a whole chapter in great controversy on. At that night, we will know that we are saved and we will be very calm when we see these things coming. Some will try to do it before the time for the decree to be executed. The wicked will rush upon the saints to slay them, but angels in the form of men of war fought for them. Now comes deliverance. Incidentally, the word deliverance is used more than once in the Bible. One of the premier texts to understand regarding this point in time is in Daniel 12, 1. And we talked about the abomination of desolation in Matthew 24, 
verse 15, go to Daniel. One of the areas to go to Daniel is in Daniel 12. And in verse 1, it talks about Michael standing up. And then we find that all the people of God will be delivered, all those who are what? Written in the book of life. The, book of, the word life isn't there, but we, we assume that's what it means. When the protection of human law shall be withdrawn from those who honor the law of God, there will be in different lands a simultaneous movement that's been planned for their destruction. As the time appointed and the decree draws near, the people will conspire to root out the hated sect. It will be determined to strike in one night a decisive blow which shall utterly silence the voice of dissent and proof. reproof. The people of God come in prison cells, some hidden in solitary retreats in the forest and mountains, still plead for divine protection, while in every quarter companies of armed men, urged on by hosts of evil angels, are preparing the work of death. It is now, in the hour of utmost extremity, that God of Israel will interpose for the deliverance of his chosen. Saith the Lord, ye shall have a song, and in the night, and when the holy solemnity is kept, and gladness of the heart is one, and when one goeth to come to the mountains of the Lord, to the mighty one of Israel, and the Lord shall cause his glorious voice to be heard, and shall show the lightning down of his arm, and the indignation of his anger, with a flame of devouring fire, with scattering and tempest and hailstones. With shouts of triumph jeering and imprecations, throngs of evil men are about to rush upon their prey, when low a dense blackness deeper than the darkness of the night falls upon the earth. Then a rainbow shining with the glory from the throne of God spans the heaven and seems to encircle each praying company. The angry multitudes are suddenly arrested. Their mocking cries die away. The objects of their murderous range Rage are forgotten. With fearful forebodings, they gaze upon the symbol of God's covenant and long to be shielded from its covering and overpowering brightness. Well, let me read the last verse here that's important in the kings of the earth. This is under the sixth seal of Revelation 6. And the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and every free man hid themselves in the dens and the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne. This is a very fascinating, in the wrath of the Lamb, a very fascinating verse. Contextually in the Greek, the face of him here is God the Father very interesting study. There's no question that that's the context in the Greek. Is it possible that the glory of God the Father and Jesus Christ are coming together when Jesus returns to planet Earth? There's a lot of issues that haven't been studied out in the Bible that are phenomenal for us to even ponder and think, but this is a very fascinating text here. An important issue that God's people must come to grips with during a large segment of time as Earth's history winds down, once again, Satan will appear to be winning. 
Knowing the details of prophecy is a shield against discouragement. That includes H.G. White and, most of all, the books of Daniel and Revelation, which are loaded with end-time details that very few sermons bring out. We end this morning with some words of encouragement, and I hope this is special to each one of you. As we've gone through these different phases, this is a time of trial for God's people. But everything depends upon how close you are to Christ. We are now to have the courage and fortitude of the martyrs of old until brought into the position they were in. Should there be a return of persecution, there would be grace given to arouse every energy of the soul to show a true heroism. What was it, Huss, when he was killed and he was burned at the stake? He was singing when he died. That sim is symbolic of the grace that's given at the very end of time. So we need to lean upon these thoughts, these promises, these ideas, that even though it appears like Satan is winning at the very end of time, grace will be sufficient for the trials that are given to each one of us. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. The disciples were not endowed with the courage and fortitude of the martyrs until such grace was needed. I hope this has been meaningful this morning. Once again, the last time we presented to you the things that have to happen before the Sunday laws, from Ellen White and the Bible, it was a, a dual message that we brought to you. Lots of things have to occur before the Sunday laws. There's a temptation as Adventists just to put blinders on and think about Rome and what the Pope says. Many things have to happen before then. And what we're experiencing with this COVID-19 is a little glimpse of some of the things that we have to go through. But then when the Sunday laws begin, there are different steps in the Sunday laws. And if we understand these different steps, it will help us as we experience these things personally to realize what is coming next and also, most of all, the power and the grace that can come to us through the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we have it so easy right now. In so many, many ways, we take many of these things for granted and we think about them as perhaps something in the future or something that will be easier than we think. But we realize as we study some of these issues from Ellen White and also the Bible that our faith is going to be tested to the utmost degree. I pray, Heavenly Father, that as was sung in the song this morning, that when we rise in the morning, our faith will be strengthened throughout the day. We want to see Jesus. I pray that in each heart here this morning, that the passion and the desire to please Jesus will be always upmost in our minds. These things we ask 
In his worthy and wonderful and precious name, amen. Amen. Fair Fowler.